You're listening to Freestyle Flavor. I'm your host, Chef Tarsha. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, stay tuned for my conversation with Chef Pierre Diem. Joining us live from Bay Area, California, we'll talk about his whirlwind experience as an award-winning chef, author, social activist, and I'll ask him, has the indigenous ingredient Fonio aided in his pursuit to globalize African food culture? You've got freestyle flavor. Put your listening ears on. Stay close. I'll be right back. My food philosophy is uh, inspired by the tradition of my origins, West Africa. My approach to food is also inspired by uh, the future of who we are, that our planet. I'm realizing that as a chef, I have um, uh, I play a role in making sure the food that I serve not only is wholesome, it's um, it's and it's sustainable. This choice of choice of ingredients. So I source the ingredients with that in mind, and I also uh, have an approach to cooking. And that's a long question here, but my approach to cooking is, uh, uh, in a sense, an opportunity to be connected with all my senses. Uh, there's many spices. I like spices that have some excitement that evokes some uh, some some excitement as you as you have them so uh hot spices do come in in mind um i like the aspect that spices like fennel or uh anista evoke as well i like to use them with moderation in a blend of spices that uh, will often bring um, spices that are a little warmer, like uh, like cinnamon or clove. You've got freestyle flavor. A podcast cookumentary highlighting all things food. Stay posted for my conversations with cooks, educators, farmers, ranchers, and regular folks talking about the flavors we all love. We'll learn so much about where our food is coming from, recipe profiles, ingredients, and fanfare. Tasty fanfare. Stay posted. Our next episode is coming up now. Chef Pierre, welcome to Freestyle Flavor. Thank you, Tasha. How are you today? 
I'm fine. I'm just fine. What's the weather like there in California? Today is beautiful. The sky is blue, no clouds. I can see here from this vantage point. Beautiful sunny day, sunny day. It's nice. Really? What, what's, what's the temperature? Yeah. About 70s, I guess. Okay. 70s, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So we have that here in Houston uh, today, fortunately, but it's going to be dropping right back down to 40 in a little bit. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I am so excited to have you here on Freestyle Flavor. Um, I have been, I have you on my hit list, let me say, of uh, people that I admire, that have inspired and impacted me as a chef. Uh, and so you are, I am so excited to strike a name, thri- strike a, a, a line through your name. <laughs> Um, I I want to start not really talking about me because we will go back and forth and I will express, you know, what I want to say to you as well. But let's start at the beginning and let me ask you, what is your first food memory? My first food memory? Well, this is a very, very deep question, but... My first food memory uh, goes probably way back to obviously the food for mama and uh, I'm thinking what probably could be what is today my favorite dish. <laughs> that's really honestly it shouldn't be my first memory but I, that's how far back I go. It's uh, what became gumbo, you know, it's like the okra and, 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 and over seafood and rice and that's uh, something that my mom would just prepare for me because she knew I loved it. I was a sucker for that dish, that super kanya we call it. <laughs> and that's that's really um, a memory that just pops. The dish that pops when you ask me what's my first food memory, it pops. And and you tell me what's my favorite traditional food is that's the one that pops too. So so it, it could be my first memory. But if I was lying down on a on a bed of a, a therapist, I'd probably go further back. <laughs> well, you know, well, so, you know, the fact that you still love that dish today, uh, is it something that you uh, ate during celebrations or you did something good or what, what or just that was just your favorite dish? You know, yeah, like birthday was. cake, you know what I mean? It's like something that yeah, you have yeah. over and over and over again uh, for certain uh, reasons. Uh, no, birthday cake was coming too far apart. To, to become like you know, <laughs> this one was it was more recurring thank god and uh yeah she there was no special occasion really she would prepare it to to make me happy i think i suspect she likes it too but it's just like such a beautiful experience that dish because we have it with crab meat in it and you have the cold crab sometimes just cracked up in half so it's had that experience you have lobster in it because senegal you know it's a coastal country so we grow up with like that abundant uh, seafood uh, ocean, right? And uh, and this is something that uh, distinguished our combo from you know the more um, landlocked countries. We have just 
seafood, you know. So we would put crab, we would put lobster, we would put scallops, we would put shrimp in it, and it would just like pop out and catfish and smokiness and the fermented. I mean, that's just so many layers of flavor. Yeah. And we make ours with, with, with red palm oil, so it's a, a whole other uh, like perfume. Richness, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's awesome did you so did you ever cook yourself as a child did you or young person oh I, I i did not at home i did once at home and once at home i tried baking a pound cake and it was my my sister's birthday and i said i'm going to make a pound cake i had never baked a cake before i had no <laughs> idea even what got to me to like say i'm gonna bake a pound cake and I got into the kitchen and just got into the flour following that recipe flour butter blah 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 it was a pound cake it came out looking like a pound cake I'm not telling you that it was nice and fluffy but I was so proud of it and I ate it so so that was my first in the at home cooking other than that you know in Senegal I also was a, 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 a boy scout Okay. So, and as Boy Scouts, we also get to cook. Uh, that's where we really start to uh, getting ourselves into the kitchen because we are out there in the camp and we got to cook and we got to eat. So Boy Scouts in Senegal is pretty intense. So well, that's, first. well, first of all, it's good to know they had uh, Boy Scouts in Senegal. That's awesome. I, <laughs> I don't know why I wouldn't think that they would, but that's good to know. <laughs> Tell, it was a big part of my formative years for sure. Tell us a little bit about Senegal. I mean, your name is Pierre Thiem. Am I saying that correct? First of all, yeah, it's, yeah, it's correct. Yeah, Thiem. Okay. And, uh, and uh, Thiem is Senegalese. Yeah, is definitely not typical. Um, so Senegal is a country located in the most western coast of Africa. So it's really like a, a, a coastal north. West, you know, so south of the Sahara Desert, a bit dry in that northern part, and the southern part where my family is from is more lush, it's more tropical. Mm. But you see lots of seafood, lots of the diversity in the food because not only the ingredients are diverse, but also the different influences. You know, because of the northwest, western, most western coast, Senegal became a natural door of entrance for many cultures that came throughout the years. Over hundreds of years, you know, mariners came through and settled. And then you have the neighboring countries as well. The whole region, Dakar, is like a hub that brings everyone there. The, Dakar is the capital city where I was born and raised. Okay. So you have all this diversity. Every culture that comes brings their culture, their food culture. Right. Well. And you have you have a dynamic Vietnamese community in Senegal that built their food culture for for, for decades now. Really, you have a Lebanese. Oh yeah, and you have a Lebanese community. You have like avenues of Dakar that are just lined up with Lebanese restaurants. That's a Lebanese community that lived in Senegal for for decades as well. That speak Wolof just like me and you. And I mean, not you, but or just like I'm gonna speak Wolof at the at the end of this. Like at the end of this, at the end of this, I, I bet, I bet you will. So, 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 so yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's Senegal for you. It's a, it's a small country, western coast most diverse um, uh, it's a melting pot really obviously we were colonized by the French 
which will be a bit explained by name here mm-hmm. uh, and that's uh, you know it's a majority muslim country mm-hmm. but you have a you have a christian community a smaller one especially in the south and you have also the traditional african um uh traditional religions as well so that's yeah that's a bit of senegal in the cultural angle and the environment did you is it is it um i know since it's on the coast obviously it's heavily uh seafood right um, and i imagine since you're saying muslim influence as well perhaps lamb uh what about beef lamb beef yes okay so beef is pork. okay yeah, everything pork, pork everything all right chicken everything <laughs> But, oh. but but seafood fish is the the protein that you would see Senegalese eating the most of you know the the others are like uh special occasions you know it's it's more it's more pricey mm-hmm. do you fish i didn't i should right but i didn't i mean i attempted a few times I no catching crabs it. nothing <laughs> I, I actually actually catching crabs I did here in in, in the US. Okay. <laughs> in, in in New Jersey out of all places that's the only time I caught something in you I wouldn't even remember if you hadn't asked me. But no, never been able to catch any fish, but uh, I know a lot of people around me growing up that would fish as for fun. Yeah, okay. How did you come to the United States? What was your journey here? Because you, you, what? Tell us about your educational background, because I imagine that's how you ended mm-hmm. up coming. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's correct. So I was, I, I was a student at uh, Dakar University, Dakar University, a school named Jack Antediop University, and uh, we were very political growing up in Senegal, and I, I in particular, I, I'm very always engaged into uh, any kind of social justice movement and the student movement in Senegal was powerful and we would get on strikes of uh, you know seeming injustices and and this particular year uh, the year I decided to come we really got into a series of strikes that went on for so long that the government decided to shut down the, the school system for the whole year so we this is a, a a memorable time for many of us from my generation we call it année blanche that was the nickname of it the année blanche in french which translate like the blank year so when that happened and we knew that we were all like we had to start over a whole new year many of us who didn't trust the school system anymore there were so many troubles and we didn't have any guarantee that next year we would wouldn't be on strike again we decided to look for other ways to continue our studies and i particularly applied at a school in Ohio, a school called Baldwin Wallace College, and did my application. I was already a student in Dakar University on physics and chemistry was my 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 field of study. Mm. Uh, and and many many people in Senegal, my generation and future generation, past generation, we often go for uh, to friends. If we don't take university in Dakar, we go to friends for higher studies because it's more affordable. It's the common language the French for many reasons but um, it's more, much more affordable than the US but I was able to get an application for this mm-hmm. college in Ohio and uh, I with the paperwork I applied for student visa which I received and my plan was to go to Ohio and uh, get started and at the same time figure out how to continue my studies but you know I had already um, a good uh, 
start right right there. I had my student visa on my way to Ohio. A friend of mine from Senegal who lived in New York insisted that I stop by because I was going to land in New York anyway and then right. figure out how to get to Ohio. <laughs> but he said, no, when you land to New York, stop, stay a few days, you know, you can stay with me, you can crash with me and then, and then you know, anyone wants to see New York once in their life and it's right. me, you know, I was like, okay, I'm here on my way to New York. I arrived in New York all day, kind of already not liking New York. It's, it was cold and the guy is like, you know, when it's cold, it's 75 degrees. So it's yes. just like, you know, New York was starting to get cold, but worse than that, three days after I arrived, I get robbed. You got robbed? So I got robbed, you know, and uh, <laughs> and that was New York in the late 80s. Mm. And, uh, I, and my friend was staying in a hotel, quote unquote hotel in Times Square. And Times Square was not the Times Square of today. Right. I don't know if you have any idea what Times Square was back in the day. Yeah, in New York. the pat down, the everything. Yeah, yeah. You e- probably oh, easily goodness. got robbed. <laughs> what? What? What that you said? I said you probably easily got robbed. Oh yeah. No, I mean it was easy. It was like uh, it was it was hard. I didn't get, get hurt. You know the like my that was in my room the, the room that they came they broke into the room and they took my money that I had kept in my suitcase because I was like on my way to uh, Ohio I wasn't you know it wasn't coming I mean, it was silly you know I was young and, 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 and brand and, new and, that was your brand new experience <laughs> brand new brand new fresh 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 from welcome <laughs> I know and, and I was like going back I was like this is it I don't like this country. This is dirty. You know, people are crazy. I mean, and that was the crack epidemic. People were like, yeah. it was like junks and junkies. There was AIDS epidemic. I mean, there were so many things. And Dakar looked like heavenly. Yes. The Dakar that I was running away from was like, wow, this was like, I mean, I have friends. This was really beautiful. I could eat, I eat great food. You know, the food was not even good, you know, I was like, you know, because that's all I could afford, really. But that was like, you know, there was no soul, no, no flavor, no, you know, it was just such a bad experience. And I'm like, I'm out of here. But another friend that I also knew from the Senegalese immigrant community was working at the restaurant and he knew that I was in a trouble. And he said, you know, you could make a little extra money if you come and work at this restaurant. We need a busboy. And the boss is a great guy. And uh, he introduced me to the boss. It was a really nice guy, actually, Richard Garvin's. The name of the restaurant was Garvin's after him. Mm-hmm. And um, the place was in uh, West Village, at, at, uh, in New York, downtown in the village. And, uh, and then, you know, I started this job because I didn't need any skills. That was my very, very first job. So I didn't have any particular skills. All I had to do was Take pick, the dirty plates from pick the up table, the plates take them back in the kitchen did you wash the- dishes or you just you just picked up plates and dumped out scraped uh, off plates uh, well very good question I did wash dishes that wasn't my job description but it came up <laughs> later after you know I you know I, I'm getting my my second cultural shock I told you the first one I get robbed right second one <laughs> I'm like cleaning plates and, and, and going into that kitchen so I come from a culture where cooking you know, and this is why I never really got to cook much when I was in Senegal. That one experience at home and then as a Boy Scout because we had no choice there. But cooking is a women activity in Senegal. Mm-hmm, culturally. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, culturally. And here I am in this restaurant and there's not a single woman in the kitchen. And I'm wondering <laughs> what's going on here. How How is it that these guys are cooking? 
okay and then how is it that there's no woman in the kitchen right and the food looks and the food looks good and i'm like it's something is something is not ticking i was told to lie or something anyway so i become really connected with those guys in the kitchen because they they see me completely mesmerized by their them doing their thing and their food is looking as these plates beautiful plates that looked like my mom had a collection of cookbooks right there's another connection with me and food my mom had a collection of cookbook a french collection called la usculinaire and that cookbook collection she had it in our living room mm-hmm. and it had the most beautiful pictures of food mm. and i had I, and for some reason you know i was very curious about books and i would pick that book very frequently just to go through the pictures and drool over those beautiful that beautiful food and I'm like wow this looks good and now I'm here in New York and I'm looking at these plates coming from that restaurant they look just like the pictures book, the, the book I was reading when I was <laughs> seven years old five, five, six, seven did so you get I, to so eat anyways, in the kitchen from the kitchen you started eating back I, there I, I, And, and and from the kitchen once in a while see, I become friends with the guys and they make <laughs> me taste things you know it's, I had you know I was thinking how to get there and the chef noticed it the chef also was someone who not only he had lived in France a little bit so he loved to practice his French with me that was an opportunity whenever I would come in the kitchen he would talk to me and he, he learned much about me and he realized that I was really trying to make extra money and get out of New York or to Ohio and stuff so he's like well you can make extra money if you come finish your dinner your busboy shift you come and wash dishes because at night when the restaurant closed we still have the dishwashing going and you could do that and i'm like yeah and uh, you know and, and <laughs> you never I, washed and, dishes and, before either huh i never did. <laughs> not, not only not not only i never did but i always saw myself as like you know i'm not a manual guy i'm this i mean i'm an intellectual i'm like you know <laughs> So I'm really hating this city, you know. I'm like, you know, this is you no. Know, what I mean, I'm embarrassed really, you know. That's how that's how bad it was. I'm embarrassed. I'm like, imagine just people that know me, that see me right here. And it's not just washing plates and stuff. I mean, this is like the pots and pans at the end of the service to think No, that everything. Like, I know. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And, and And chef is telling me, you know, this is how I started. This is the real school for cooking. This is, you know, this is. And I'm like, yeah, let me get out of here. Let me give me my money, sir. Look. <laughs> and and yes, and, and but, but but you know the thing with dishwasher is when uh, there's someone missing, and there's always someone missing, the prep guy, you know, because the dishwasher and there's a prep. The prep is the one that peels the onions and chops and all that. He thinks he's the boss of the dishwasher. Right. And then he, when he doesn't come, they call a dishwasher to do his job, right? Yeah. And uh, and then that's when you do his job that you start learning knife skills and you start learning how to separate certain vegetables and you no, know, that kind of thing. You learn you learn that preparation skill, and and you learn it and you show that you can do it, and then they give you promotion. Like okay, you shouldn't be washing dishes anymore. Now you come to the prep, and the chef was really following me, and he takes me to the prep. He always knew that, you know, if for some reason he he believed that I had potential before I even knew me thinking about about that. It was the so French. He, it was the French. It was the French. Yeah, it was definitely the French. I I I, I had that part, <laughs> and, 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 and I played it for real. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, you did. But, uh, So, you you climbed your way up. <laughs> I climbed my way up. 
plan my way up. This was a prep, prep, Gadomaji, Gadomaji, and Gadomaji, that's when it's interesting because Gadomaji starts learning about dressings and vinaigrettes. Yes. And that's when I really start making the connection between that and chemistry. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I'm seeing what's happening. What yes. He's teaching me how to make this dressing and he's like you put the vinegar first or you put lime juice or this particular one and then you put the salt and pepper and the garlic all the flavors and then you add the oil and you add the oil gradually because you want to whisk it to create yes. an emulsion and I'm like you said emulsion he's like yeah an emulsion and I'm like what emulsion is when acid and lipid are combined together it's like chemistry yeah and he's like looking at me like yeah yeah like, you got it make it happen look <laughs> And and everything in the kitchen, I started to look at it in that angle because mm. I was seeing this chemistry, chemical reaction everywhere. Right. And then gradually, that's when I realized I'm like, this is chemistry, and this is the chemistry I actually prefer. Mm. I'm not washing dishes anymore, so I'm right. like really now, you know, playing and seeing and looking forward to learning more about this this skill. And just for myself, if I could cook this for myself, it's already a great plus. But now it's like chemistry, so I can even really grasp this and learn more about it. And I got curious and I got started to read about cooking and chef was like guiding me through that. And from Gardemanger, I climbed up to like the saucier, to the grill, to the light cook. And you know, I was like a cook. I was a cook. I was all of a sudden. Uh, like, I'm like, this is my chemistry. And and then, you know, I just uh, I, I started to learn from different kitchen. I really wanted to immerse myself. I'm in New York City, the food capital of the world. I'm going to take advantage of that. Restaurants are hiring like crazy because they always look for skills, especially in the kitchen. And so I went from there to Italian restaurant, to French restaurant, to Boom. So Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, yeah, so yeah. you can attest, it's true. They say if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, right? <laughs> In New York. That's what, they, that's what they said, yeah. Let me ask you, where was the African food back during that time? In existence. You know, it was so, uh, it was missing. Now, I told you about that uh, hotel I was staying where I got dropped, right? So it was, let me describe to you that hotel. It was a hotel where immigrants, mostly from Senegal, lived in. And then you have, well, you also had like, it was kind of like a shelter for drug addicts, slash AIDS victims, whatever. It was really- Like a halfway house or something. Halfway yeah. to everything. <laughs> halfway everything. I mean, it was horrible. Oh my God. We, 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 well, we would share the bathroom and each floor had a shared bathroom. I mean, I, I couldn't. I mean, even in Senegal, I never pictured a place like that. It really was. Wow. And, and in the middle of time, so I still like when I walk to New York, like walk to the street to see how this has changed. It was like it was such a eerie picture. But um, but that place also at dinner time, there was some Senegalese woman who would take a couple of those rooms and turn it into. A quote unquote restaurant. Wow. So they would prepare the classics of our cuisine, and all of us would rush there and eat because it was affordable. We'd just go, they would serve it to go. So, they, But there was no restaurants really like, you know, the way we were talking about. And that's that's really a good segue to talk about how I turned into visiting, revisiting West African cuisine. Mm -hmm. I was craving for that. I knew my peers were craving for that. And I am here now in this. Uh, few years later, I'm working in this restaurant in Soho, 
people where the chef is really really uh, bringing the food from southeast asia and at the time in the 90s it was not really a thing yet but he was bringing it and he was bringing very interesting flavors from you know malaysia indonesia singapore that kind of mm-hmm. vietnam actually and uh, and i loved it you know i loved it i was familiar to me because of the vietnamese community in senegal so i kind of knew those flavors but in addition they have like a way of bringing like fermentation in their cuisine which was very african as well they use you know there's fresh there's spices there's some heat all of that i was like this kind of cuisine is making it here that restaurant is goes very very successful and i'm like if they make it our cuisine also should be able to make it here because our cuisine has those bold flavors and our cuisine not only bold flavors it's nutritious it's all of that so that became a mission i'm like i have to figure out a way to bring this cuisine back and that's cuisine i'm really going to cook from mem yes sorry to begin with because this is something i just had it and and i started to play at that restaurant to serve it for the staff you know we call it staff meal every day there's one of the cooks right would prepare for the whole family meal before the the restaurant open right. and whenever i would go to my turn i would prepare that food i would prepare those peanut sauce and like onion and lime sauce and and of rice and fish and i mean those, all those flavors and and the staff loved it the staff loved it and they were like you have to bring it as special in the restaurant you, you know you you, you bring a very interesting uh point out and that is that so you know you become excited you made the connection with your chemistry background but you came excited about food but you had never cooked in your own country really and then you learned how to cook here and you started to prepare your dishes your culture from memory flavor profiles obviously and 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 bringing that chemistry together to create that flavor profile to some people who never really knew what the authentic taste would have been anyway that's right that's exciting that's right It's great not only it's exciting but it changed my whole trajectory you know right now I wasn't just a cook trying to make a living I was on a mission I was on a mission to really introduce the food culture of my origins to this so-called food capital of the world that they are not have our cuisine you know represented you know Africa is a big continent there's so much to offer I mean I'm just representing West Africa here and it's still not present and in what even further um motivated me was when i made that connection because every time every time i would look for flavors and not that so i'm not for myself i would look for restaurants from either the diaspora the african diaspora it could be southern food it could be jamaican food all those flavors had a connection with the food that i loved to eat growing up so that was like that even that aspect i could see african food here Mm-hmm. African food was here but it wasn't getting the African food credit it wasn't right. getting that it was just like you know uh, or they would say occasion or, or you know or, or they'll call it just the name of the dish they'll call it gumbo but they don't right. know that this gumbo they don't say this gumbo is actually similar to the recipe I, I loved growing up uh, I loved eating growing up so yeah so that uh, that that really is uh, the thing that changed everything for me and I never looked back I started you know doing a um 
bringing it at the restaurant. I got promoted eventually as a chef de cuisine at that restaurant. The restaurant opened a new location in Miami. I was sent there and over there I really had fun with adding those African flavors and the menu was just popping with that uh, uh, identity. And, uh, and it was welcome. You know, I returned to New York with a plan now. I'm starting a catering business. I'm going to tap into my network and tell them about this thing. And, then, and it worked. People started to book my business for catering, for special events, you know, at all levels, really a diverse for clientele. And that took me to opening my very first restaurant. And I'm just like, you know, very uh, mission driven now. And yeah. Um, now, when I was introduced to you, it was all, it was obviously not by happen chance because this is, you know, like 20, more than 25 years later that I'm having this conversation with you now. But I, uh, as a young uh, chef doing a stage or an internship uh, coming out of culinary school, I staged with chef um, Robert Gadsby. Do you know Robert Gadsby? Uh, and he was here in Houston. He had a restaurant called Noe. And uh, the, the, the style of the cuisine uh, was, uh, his menu was tasting menu, which was uh, mind-blowing to me because as a creative person, uh, you had to, everybody in the kitchen was competing all every day to create something that would be mind-blowing that would make it to the menu and uh and so that would leave you at the end of the day you couldn't almost couldn't sleep at night because you were busy trying to have ideas like what can I do tomorrow you know to blow everybody down in the kitchen but I I was so I was always on the computer at night researching and somehow I came up on this chef Pierre you know, and and you were bald, shaven head, and you were in this dappled light, and you were it was nouveau cuisine, okay? And you were, you know, the shots were beautiful, and I was like, oh my god, who is this guy? You know, but as I continued to kind of go through whatever the montage was there, it made me know that like this is an area that I can excel, propel to, and you know not no not really giving the media uh the imaging as black chefs or uh even female chefs or african cuisine or anything in the media it was something for me to a work with robert gadsby uh who's british and then b to find at that level now chef pierre so where were you at that time when those pictures were being taken and you were being highlighted then? Oh, boy, I don't even know. Oh, my God. Do you remember that time, though? You have to, because you... Well, you have, if you tell me about the time, the time period, maybe, is that... The time period when you were super hot and they were... Uh, taking all these pictures of you and I mean like the photos were like you were almost in the dark and the the, the, the light was just on you and the dish and the, it was just fantastic anyway it was fantastic so you obviously had arrived okay 
<laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so that goes back to show you how much you, you inspired me. And, and so I think it's fantastic. Uh, so. Let me ask you about, um, you know, going through this and, and traveling through this journey of becoming this, you know, amazing chef that you are known as now, right? Uh, a worldwide chef, uh, an author, cookbook author, more than what, four books? How many books is it? The first book is coming out, actually, the deadline for the manuscript is in two weeks, but uh, it's coming out next week. Wow. Four books. Four books, um, social activism, and then you were awarded uh, from James Beard. What did what did that feel like? Because I kind of was at thinking, you know, I, I felt like, yeah, and not to go too deeply into it, but I felt like there were such a slight on so many chefs of different colors that could have been recognized. And, oh, yeah. you know, we, we don't want to beat that drum, but what did it feel like to finally be acknowledged in that arena? It was shocking first. I mean, like you said, you know, we, 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 we don't expect um, the recognition from those institutions. Usually we don't. I mean, James Beard is doing an effort right now. Right. Um, consciously. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that effort is being seen. Yeah. Um, just on the people that they bring on board now, it's like, you know, mostly, uh, as far as I know, brown, black and brown people, lots of women, mm -hmm. great. I know a couple of them, but back in the days, it wasn't the case. And I was really, uh, I was honored, obviously. I was shocked. Sure. I also, I also was confident. I knew that the book that I had written was just a book that needed to be seen. I mean, like they could not avoid seeing this book. This book was quite unique, even in the approach of, um, of presenting a cookbook. You know how usually our chefs, our cookbooks are like just about the chef really, the beautiful plate and then the recipe. And I just wanted the book to be more than that, to be the continuation of my first cookbook. I wanted it to be, my first cookbook was about that inspired me from my family. I traveled with a photographer, we spent time with, you know, the women of my family and, and we showed that cuisine, where that cuisine came from. So the next book, I wanted it to be about the ingredients. What is it that makes these plates so beautiful? Mm -hmm. You know, how do they get here? Who's growing this rice? Who's growing this fonio? Who's catching this fish? So the book was, it turned out to be more like an anthropological work. Mm -hmm. I traveled around the country and I was spending time with those producers, those farmers, those fishermen, and giving them a voice and having a profile on them and uh, talk about their challenges and talking about, you know, their fears and their hopes and talk about the products and then the recipes. And this is how that book came to be. And it turned out to be, you know, addressing issues of like historical issues, addressing colonialism, addressing even the middle passage. All of it came in an organic way. Mm -hmm. and, and the book just told that story. And that's why this book was not surprised to me when it got that recognition from the James Beard as yeah. International. Well, I'm I'm glad that it did. It's fantastic. And speaking of that, I need to add it to my collection because I, it's missing. So I will I will definitely <laughs> I will get on that. I will get on that. It's right right there. <laughs> I see you got a nice collection back there. 
Yeah, for sure. I well, tried to. I'm just like you. <laughs> I tried to prop up mine. My my, your view is limited of what you see here, but you do see that Tony Tipton Martin. That's that's a good book. Uh, my girls. Yeah, that's the both of our girls for sure. did have an opportunity to see your TED talk, which was back in what, 2017. Um, you, you have been uh, speaking about what you're talking about, the anthology and anthropology and all of that of your country and your food and really how food is the common denominator, right? Of just people, you know, and that's what I love about food. That's why we can never diminish the value of food, uh, because it is something that vibrates through all of us. Um, tell us about Fonio, because you were talking about Fonio, and I suspect that that wasn't, uh, m- maybe you were at that time, I don't know when you started campaigning to bring Fonio to the forefront. Well, it was a little before that time, and uh, and again, it's with me and my it was a continuation of this book I just talked about as I'm traveling and meeting those producers and I'm meeting these women in the most remote area of Senegal and they are growing, they're, they're processing ponyo and they have these cooperatives and this grain is the one that they always serve you when you come and they want to honor you. That's really a grain that has such an importance in their culture. And I'm tasting it and I'm like, wow, I remember this from my childhood. But even in Dakar, I can never get ponyo. Why is that? It's grain. And then I'm learning more about the grain. And I'm like, wow, this grain is amazing. Not only is it very delicate, and that's why they serve it to honor their guests, but it's really, it's a nutrition powerhouse. Mm-hmm. It has so many properties. And in addition to that, it's great for the environment. It's a grain that grows in an arid soil. It doesn't require lots of water, but in the soil where it grows, it regenerates the soil. It adds nutrients to the soil. So imagine countries like uh, affected by desertification, like Senegal. Mm-hmm. If we expand the agriculture of Ponyo, it's a way to like mitigate the advance of the desert. So, you know, we talk about climate change, we're talking about yeah. food system change. So all of that made me think, this grain is going to make it. If I try to bring it as a grain uh, and introduce it to just my peers, my chef, chef peers in New York, they will love it because we are always looking for new flavors, right. new products. And, but they will help to spread the message and gradually uh, all the that their clients will look for the grain and the grains, if I happen to make it to the supermarkets, they will be able to find a supermarket and I'll connect it directly to the small farmers who are the poorest ones in the world and those small farmers will have another source of income which is something that they they don't have access to. They have the grain, but they don't have access to markets. So this was me thinking, as a chef, I can do anything. And this is me. I just am very naive. I'm like going, I can do anything. (laughs) And and I didn't realize that I had to create the whole chain of value. The whole chain of value. Oh, yes. It was like from the farm, you know, the grain needs to be uh, decorticated and then washed and then steamed and then dried and then packaged and then took to the market supermarket so I I just had no idea I was like okay I'm just gonna turn this grain into a world-class crop and now how do I do it I needed the partnerships the right partnership the right collaboration I partnered with uh, uh, my 
co-founder Philip Devereaux, who's also a veteran in the food industry, who had been working in bringing quinoa in the early, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, very, very early in the U.S. And, and so he knew that path. And in addition to that, I collaborated, we partnered with um, Woodland Foods, which is an, uh, a company that's based in Chicago, their headquarters. But what they do is they import ingredients for over 60 countries around the world. So they knew about the logistics and how to to, to, to take care of that challenge that I had. So now I had all the pieces of the puzzle and I just connected them. And, uh, and right after the, right before the talk, the TED talk, we had already uh, a, a deal with Whole Foods just to start at the new Whole Foods that was opening near my restaurant in Harlem. Mm-hmm. And that was the Whole Foods that took the grains first. So we took that. And, uh, and personally, I would go to that Whole Foods and have people just see me doing some cooking demo and tasting and every time i would do that the, the grade would just sell out uh, and, and whole foods noticed it and they're like <laughs> okay you we need you in the other supermarkets too and then we started gradually expanding supermarkets in new york and then we were in the northeastern region and today we are in all the whole foods in america we started other accounts targets we added new flavors to our uh, uh, products um, uh, catalog. It's we amazing. Have we have this now, we this have is an amazing story because, you know, I just, I know that is a huge challenge to bring anything to the market, but certainly something where you've got to give the story and bring the value and, uh, and you have to have the nutrient value. Uh, and it has to be versatile, which it is. As you said, it's an ancient grain. I ordered it before our conversation uh, from Amazon. So I did get the six-pack flavor pack. And I prepared some for myself for lunch today. Uh, and I'm going to put those pictures up when this goes. But I was... So this was my first introduction to it. And, um, and okay. I... I I uh I was I liked it. I can see so much versatility uh that's there in terms of what you can do with it. I I simply did it very quickly in the microwave uh with uh water and olive oil and uh the flavor that I used was the yasa. Um okay. okay. And so I prepared it. I threw some roasted vegetables. I went out to my garden picked a few things real quick, roasted some vegetables, popped it in the microwave, put some olive oil and water in there. And I think it was like three minutes in the microwave or four minutes and then let it sit like quinoa in in that it's quick, you know, which is great. Uh, So the difference that I I noticed, it's uh, such a fine grain. Um, The flavor, the, the texture, I would say is, was drier uh but i like what you said delicate it's more delicate than quinoa for sure um and then i and i then i dressed it you know and it was it was delicious Uh and my mind started going as a chef of course like oh and for me i specialize as a pastry chef and master baker but i have a fine dining background so i began to think about oh like i wonder if i could bake this in some crackers or Yes, you can. You know? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. As a matter of fact, we have been uh, developing snacks. Crackers is part of the uh, future products that we have. Right now, we have the chips. 
But uh, again, you know, you can you can bake. We we have ponyo flour now. We have all-purpose ponyo flour, gluten-free. That's coming up, so you can also bake just with the flour. Wow! You don't have to. Yeah, there's uh, there's so much things that are happening on that world. Yeah, I can and see it being very versatile for sure. continues and still and that's still I'm still as, as excited about it because there's so much just in West Africa there's so many ingredients that are still untapped and right. why am I very excited about the mission is because you know I feel like doing that is also saving biodiversity because they some of them disappear yeah the ingredients do crops die disappear if you don't find a use for them if you don't have market for them they disappear and that's why I'm excited of the flavors and people are now the time is so right people are more conscious of the, what they eat they're looking for nutritious flavor they're looking for exciting bold flavor they look for, for culture so all of that is really a good sign for, for foods from the continent Yo Lele, what does that mean? Yo Lele, the first answer is that the good times roll. Oh, <laughs> that's my favorite. <laughs> I'm always saying that, let the good so, times roll. It's a full Oh, that's great. Yeah, there we go. There we go. And so how do we how do we get the um do we go on the website to get the I saw on Instagram you have the kitchen towels. Oh yeah, on the website yolele.com and you can have all of that and don't go to I mean I shouldn't say that but before you go to Amazon go to yes Yolele. well I will I I will go direct I will go direct go direct <laughs> everyone go direct, go direct to yolelefoods.com right um, yolele.com okay yeah all right and then uh, before we go um, I like to ask give you a scenario and the scenario is you're on a desert island mm-hmm. and you have only a kitchen crate. Okay. Mm-hmm. What will you put in your kitchen crate? You are going to okay. have ponyo for sure. Ponyo because it cooks fast and it's, uh, I think it's versatile. Um, I will definitely have uh, okra. I mean, that's something a lot of people want even connect with but that's an ingredient I think is very important if I'm to be stuck in an island I would love to have some okra I'd love to have the basis of a, of, a, of, of any of our sauces and stews so that's like onions garlic shallots uh, all those those things that start a sauce you know um, oil olive oil peanut oil maybe palm oil <laughs> How big is a crate? How big? Is it's a, a crate? kitchen it's crate, crate, sir. It's a kitchen crate. It's just it's not that big. All right, I can I, I can put more stuff in there, right? You're right. It's how you stack it. <laughs> exactly. I know what you better you better put some tools in there unless you're gonna use rocks and uh, uh, uh sticks. Uh, uh, there's no tools. Oh, wow. no, I, I have my chef knife. You know, definitely at least one one chef knife, eight inch. Uh, uh, wooden yeah. spoon, wooden spoon. I'll have a wooden spoon because a lot of times those tools and we're talking about the chemistry background, you know, wooden spoon is important when you're going to put it, stir it in the pot. Uh, uh, I need a, um, uh, definitely a cast iron pan yeah. and, uh, and a pot. Uh, 
if you look for this, but they're not what you gonna you gonna put the pot on top of your head, I guess, because your basket is full. Your 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 crate is full. Is full. Your crate is oh, full wow. now. Wow. I, 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 I need a lighter. Need a, lighter. <laughs> a lighter, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, oh boy! I didn't put any protein by design, right? So I guess I, I need a fishing rod. So I'm gonna catch some fish for sure. You're gonna you're gonna learn how to catch it while you're on the I island, know. right? <laughs> Exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, Chef Pierre, it's been fantastic to talk to you. It's really been a pleasure for me and honor. And I thank you for taking the time. It's my pleasure. This was really, really fun. I appreciate your how can how can people get in touch with you? How can they get in touch with me? So well I have Chef is my website. And uh, I mentioned yolele.com, teranga.com. Teranga is my restaurant in New York. I have a bit town and uptown restaurant. And uh, so they can catch me through those. My handle for Instagram and Twitter, etc., is at Chef Pierre Jam. Mm-hmm. So you can also send me direct messages there. I usually am there. If not, I'm sure Jamma will respond, but then you'll get to me eventually. So uh, definitely, um, those are the places where I can be reached. Piercham.com for the website and at Chef Piercham for social media. Give us your one word. One word. Wow, this time of where we are in this world, I would say the word is peace. You know, this is really the word that I think... um, Food is the medium that really, and you kind of brought it, brushed it a little bit. Food, the medium that really get people together, and we need to really figure out how to get together on this planet. You know, we're sharing it, and and this is crazy what's going on, particularly in the, I'm thinking Ukraine, but you know, it's been just just crazy. So I, I want peace. You know, I'm really sick. We went two years of a pandemic, and now we're going through a war. Yes, peace is the word. Peace. peace. And peace to you, and we're out. Thanks for listening to Freestyle Flavor, a bi-weekly production. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you're alerted to every new uploaded episode. And if you'd like to get in contact with us here at the podcast, we'd love to hear back from you. Send your email to fresh and freestyle flavor at gmail.com that's going to do it for this episode in the meantime and in between time i am chef tarsha it's been a pleasure